to the pantry party season two episode number nine wow um we've yeah Yeah. this season we're getting through it um (laughs) we are your hosts my name is eliza and joining me is bran um and today we are airing part two of our conversation with laura thomas my boss um which if you haven't caught the first bit go back and listen to the first half of this episode because I actually really don't think it'll make very much sense. No, um, not not listening to it. Um, but yeah, Brian, did you have anything that, like? Nah, um, she to- actually, sorry, I just said nah, but I'm going to add something. <laughs> of course. Um, she stuck around for our What's In Season, which is the first time we've had a guest on What's In Season. So um yeah, we're doing all sorts of things these two episodes. We brought back the Fast Five and our guests get to stick around to tell us what they've been doing. Breaking the mould. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, this this second half of this conversation in particular I really enjoyed and I think there's a lot of really valuable information in there, particularly for students and new grads and everyone sort of looking to work in this industry or even if you are working in in nutrition and health anyway um but you know we have a good chat around the purpose of food and how we can bring some of these things into our practice as clinicians so it's a really nice chat agreed i think we've yeah there's a lot to get through so we'll just leave you to listen to it yeah here's part two of our chat with laura so with all of that in mind um and having that as a kind of like grounding and a basis for your sort of like I can see how that's really important in terms of not necessarily value but something that you try and incorporate into what you're doing like and theoretically you can incorporate it into any sort of space I'm wondering how that's then um how you've managed to sort of translate into the work that we're doing and like you know the work at LCA and like how that sort of um yeah forms like how you, how you actually put it into practice. Yeah, I, and, and again, you know, it's, it's a work in progress, um, as you know, and, and I'm not at all claiming to be perfect. And, you know, we have many discussions about, you know, all the things that we would like to do to make our space more inclusive and accessible and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but, but some of the, you know, from a, from a really practical perspective, some of the things that we do do are trying to offer, um, you know, as many resources as we can for free, like podcasts and our social media and our newsletter and all of those kinds of things so that that's um, accessible to people. Um, and, and recently, you know, we did, well, to be fair, mostly Eliza did a, a kind of shopping guide that we, that, that was kind of geared towards um, kind of self-care in the, in the COVID times, I don't really know how we're referring to this weird period of our lives, um, but th- that we that we made um, freely available to people who um, are on a low income. 
um, and all our weight inclusive guides are available on a sliding scale as well. So we, from a, like a pragmatic perspective, that those are the types of things that we're trying to do. Um, oh, sorry, am I missing something? I don't think so. I it's think incorporating it. I. Oh, sorry, you go, Lise. Yeah, no, I was going to say from like from a clinical perspective and 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 how it plays out in our practice. I've kind of mentioned the advocacy piece already. That's I think really, really critical for us is if we're working with a client that um, has been turned away from eating disorder treatment because their BMI is, quote, too high or um, they're not sick enough or, or whatever other, I mean, there's just so many examples of, of that that we've had recently. Um, so our role in that situation is really just to get up in everybody's face until you know, we're writing to, to um, eating disorder uh, units, we're writing to GPs, we're getting on the phone, we're um, collaborating with therapists to make sure that people get the appropriate treatment, diagnosis and care. Um, and, uh, and, you know, in a similar vein, we, we have a lot of clients who, who are at, who, who are in a bigger body, who are, are getting um, dismissed, if they have um, eating disorders, or if they have a clinical condition, they're just being told, oh, you just have to lose weight. And that's not appropriate for them. I mean, arguably, it's not really appropriate for anyone <laughs> for it to be a focus of an intervention. Um, so a lot of that work is, is going back to the, their, whoever their healthcare provider is and, and challenging that. So for example, um, I had a client a while back who has a NAFLD diagnosis and um, her, you know, she, she, cause she's, we've been working together for a while and she asked her consultant or her consultant told her that she needed to lose weight. She pushed back and was like, well, you know, I'm not going to do that. So what else can you offer me? And he, or, and I think she used that sort of question of like, well, what would you tell a thin person and she was told thin people don't get naffled which we all know is not true and um yeah so at, at that juncture i stepped in and proverbially stepped in and, and wrote to this guy and was like look this you're you're stigmatizing this client um you know sent him all sorts of literature on on weight stigma i don't know if he actually read it or not um and and basically just advocated for weight inclusive care for that client um, and you know fortunately she's doing really well now but yeah it's 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 i guess challenging this type of behavior from other healthcare professionals when it comes up um, and so it's not like you are overthrowing the whole system but it's a disruption and it, it might not change anything but equally it might have planted a seed um, and I think, you know, that particular doctor wasn't particularly receptive, but I've definitely had other healthcare professionals who really kind of acknowledged what, the issue and, and kind of done their own research and, and kind of come back and, and said, oh, I'm, I'm actually really grateful that you, you pointed this out to me and, and I'll do better next time kind of thing. So um, that's the, the advocacy piece. I, I think 
oh god i mean i could i could talk about like <laughs> non-judgment and unconditional positive regard and client-centered care and de-experting ourselves but i mean what like what would be helpful to to think about do you think i would love to hear about de-experting yourself because that's something it's a rhetoric that was definitely fed to myself um at at uni that you know know your worth but in it was more down the angle of you are the expert this is your area of expertise don't let anyone try and tread over that and definitely portraying that in a clinical environment so I don't know for example if a doctor's overriding one of your notes or procedures or whatever um it was more down that angle and therefore your top shit and everyone should <laughs> I know, like that's that was the vibe that I got when we're yeah. going throughout uni. Yeah, and and I think that that that's tricky because it's tricky to navigate because as nutrition professionals, we have expertise, we have experience, we have a lot of value to offer, um, mm. and and certainly in that clinical environment, you can be kind of like, um yeah you're you're having to deal with a lot of ego <laughs> um and and all sorts of other things so you know I, I i kind of understand that from from that perspective um why that's built into our training this idea that we're the experts however um you know from a from a practice perspective when we're working with another human if we go into an interaction with somebody else with the assumption that we are the expert, um, we are automatically, we're automatically losing that person from the perspective that um, we're, we're going into that setting with an agenda. We are working, we end up working on people rather than with people. So we're projecting our ideas of what we think they should do onto them rather than coming from a more collaborative approach where we um, we're looking at the, the individual as the expert of themselves they're the expert of their bodies their experiences their um, you know knowledge and understanding and we, we need to really respect that and work with that instead of against that because you know if I come in and um, you know, I tell someone, um, I don't know, this is like a really stupid example, but like, um, oh, you need to eat more whole grains. And that person, like maybe they, maybe they already only eat whole grains, for example. Um, so, so I'm not, I'm not kind of assessing and understanding their baseline level of, of what they're, where they're coming from. Um, that's kind of a, like a, silly example but um let me see if I can think of something better um well this has come up recently with one of my clients who has an eating disorder and has also got a couple of like chronic health things that she's dealing with and so over time as she's explored you know different diagnoses and had different doctors and everything the general narrative of her care has been oh just you know take this out of your diet restrict that try this supplement, do this. And so she's ended up with a list a mile long of like all of these things to try. Um, and I spoke to her last week and she was so upset because she was having such a horrible time with her symptoms. 
and she was worried that I was going to like judge her for taking a step back from the kind of things that we'd agreed on to try the, the previous week and I had to kind of say to her like look I'm not here to judge you and impose that on you if you're struggling that's okay for you to take a break and like you know just look after yourself and focus on the more fundamental things that are just going to like get you through this pain um but I think even just that perception that I as a healthcare practitioner would you know um react negatively for someone just doing to someone doing what they you know what they can to look after themselves is such a normalized and like you know there's this whole you know this is even broad more broadly speaking in terms of like medical fat phobia like fat people are so scared of going to the doctor because they're so scared that they're just going to be judged and like shamed for what they're doing mm-hmm. and given a list of things that they probably or might already be doing um or tr- like have previously tried to do like it's not actually helping them in any way because it's just imposing this like structure that exists at a societal level anyway um mm. that's not really a specific example but like people end up with things that aren't actually helping them because they're not personalized yeah mm-hmm. and and I feel like they they end up leaving an interaction with a healthcare professional feeling dismissed not listened to um, like not taken seriously, having their concerns trivialized. And I mean, I, I'm sure everyone listening can relate to what it's like to go to say like a GP and then, and not have your concerns validated or have them trivialized or, um, diminished somehow and how that leaves you feeling. Um, Mm. it doesn't feel great, right? Like I'm, I'm sure we've all had that experience, Versus when we've spoken to someone who is really trying to connect with us, who's really listening to our um, our experiences, and I appreciate that a lot of this is constrained oftentimes by the system that we're working in. And again, Eliza and I have an enormous privilege in that we can we're not we're not seeing people for twenty minutes and then kicking them out the door. We're we're forming and establishing relationships with people. Um, and seeing them on a recurring basis so we 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 really do have a luxury there but that um in terms of of yeah like being really client-centered but there there are ways of doing that even if you have a 10 15 20 minute consult with someone um and again in terms of a resource to look into for that i would really strongly recommend um, motivational interviewing by Don Clifford and I forget I forget the co-author um, of that book but maybe you can pop it in the we show can link it, yeah um, where, where the, we talk you know the book talks a lot about it gives a lot of practical skills so it, it gives you you know how you can do how you can provide person-centered care in like a 10-minute consult um, and, and, and it also talks about, you know, de-experting yourselves and, and taming this writing reflex that we have, writing in the sense of, of correcting or, or um, as opposed to like writing something out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and, it, and so it's kind of, um, you know, this idea of if, if a, a client comes to us and they have some misinformation about something, we don't just shut them down and be like, no, you're stupid. 
we actually like we engage with them and we get curious about okay where did you know where did you get that information does that sound does that sound right to you does that like does that fit with your experiences like it could be again to use the carb thing like cutting out carbs how does that make you feel if you don't eat carbohydrates um uh you know do, do you have any concerns about um missing out on anything like with your family or your friends or da, 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 da. So, so trying to elicit that from them rather than telling them oh that's bullshit mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah and i mm. think the only thing that i'd add to that is maybe just um emphasizing the in the context of um clinical care like the importance of informed consent like yeah. which is what's um like what this is a result of is these issues where people are you know blindly following diets and procedures and things that maybe aren't actually giving them like actually relieving whatever they're going through or helping them um mm. because you know they weren't given the options they weren't told about the risks of these things when they were prescribed um but what we can do in our work is help to unpack some of that and actually pick apart like whether it's actually beneficial or whether the risks outweigh the benefits. Just bringing it back to our practice and, and like your experience with this stuff, um, I can really see how, you know, these um, values and sort of frameworks of more inclusive and compassionate care have sort of developed over time and, and how that's, um, shown up for you in, in, in your practice. But I'm wondering as well, um, just to reflect that back on your own sort of relationship with food and your body and how that's kind of influenced, if you're comfortable talking a little bit about it, like your life outside of work. Yeah, I think maybe the, like kind of, um, learning and understanding the concepts of self-compassion, which is something that I like heavily push on, <laughs> on my clients. Um, but bringing that into my own life and just thinking about, um, I think we, we tend to think a lot and we can understand compassion in the context of, of it being an outward um, kind of um, action or, um, yeah, like something that we that we kind of do to others, um, but we forget that piece of um, applying it to our our own lives. So I think is it Jack Cornfield that has has the quote of like compassion without the self is incomplete or some something like that. Just and and not in a like a self indulgent way, but in a kind of um, you know we we can all be our own worst critics kind of way um and and just learning to be a bit gentler to to myself you know I, I talked about how I like have a million projects spinning all the time and I want to like I have a tendency to want to kind of um perfect or refine something before going on to the other thing but like I, I know that that's not practical with how much I have going on so just being a bit a bit gen gentler on myself if that's um yeah, if it doesn't end up being exactly the way that I had in mind. Is that, does that answer what you're yeah, like, for sure. talking to? Yeah, and I was actually um, thinking that it was a great segue into talking a little bit more about the like work-life balance 
side mm. of things um because even just in I mean in the period that I've known you and been yeah. working with you yeah. like you've been pregnant the whole time and so I was thinking about that this morning <laughs> like you know and it's like but you're also working ridiculously hard and have been the whole time and yeah. so I think um I mean I'm just interested in how that's been for you and how that kind of because obviously like you know this is your first pregnancy as well and so yeah. it's not like um you've got this like you, you don't know what to expect on on any of those fronts and yeah. so I'm interested how that's um like what kind of um things you've been able to bring in or had to compromise to sort of be able to manage everything that's going on yeah and I think it's as you know, very much uh, kind of um, it's it's a it's a work in progress for me. I have like a pathological inability to sit still and stop <laughs> stop doing things. But you know, a lot like some of that was born out of necessity, right? Like we had a lot of curveballs thrown at us um, in the past, like over the period of my pregnancy, that have just um, sort of necessitated that I respond to it and, and maybe haven't been able to, to take as, like, I wanted to be finished maternity leave like two or three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. I'm still not there yet. Um, but you know, like it, it's difficult because I really love my work and I really care about it. And in order to be able to do all of the things that I do, and have the team that I have and, and be able to have the kind of practice that I have, like, it just means I have to work really fucking hard. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's an element of that, that I'm, I'm willing to, to take that hit because it's for me, it, it's the, the only way that I would want to work. Like I couldn't go back and be like a supermarket nutritionist or like, <laughs> or do like some sort of weight management, um, public health program or, you know, what, whatever other opportunities that would be available. Like the thought of that is devastating to me. Um, so, you know, like if you want to, if you want to work in this, um, space, you know, you, you, like, as you know, have to kind of work pretty hard. So, like I'm willing to do that. Um, when this baby comes, I have no idea <laughs> how that's going to change things. I'm, I'm obviously going to have to slow down um, and um, and kind of like reevaluate things a little bit. But I'm, you know, we've we've put the groundwork into having a, a solid team that um, that that know what they're doing. So I'm hoping you guys don't like burn the place down while I'm gone. <laughs> um, we'll see we'll see I think it's yeah it's just interesting sort of being not necessarily on the periphery of of everything that's going on but mm -hmm. seeing how it's changed over like the last what probably like eight months that I've known like been working in this space and I think um like anyone going into private practice or into a more um you know in the UK if you're working outside of the NHS or um I think you know there's all you you're kind of aware of those um risks and the compromises that you're yeah. going to have to make in the amount of work that it's going to take but 
I think as well, um, it really goes to show the importance of having like, you know, a solid team and not having too ridiculously high an expectation of yourself and what you can do um, and kind of just making the best of whatever is thrown at you because, you know, I guess that's one of the risks of having your own business and having like, you know, this own, your own kind of way of going about things is that, yeah, sure, you get to make all the decisions and like do all of the um, things that you, the, the way that you want to do things, but it also means that you're um, having to like cope with any negative, um, well, not necessarily negative, but like things that are like come up um, over time. No, and I definitely have had to, particularly in the last couple of months, just as like I'm physically not as 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 capable of, um, you know, going at the speed and the pace that I was, like being better about, um, you know, taking weekends. <laughs> it sounds so ludicrous, um, but but yeah, like you know, trying to take take breaks and switch off and and not do things um as much as possible outside of of work time um it's not always possible uh when you own your own business um especially like because the the climate is so weird at the moment um having to be quite responsive to that um but yeah therapy helps <laughs> as well <laughs> um and yeah just trying to take take as much um time for myself as i can um particularly before this kid takes over my life. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess we've got a really good um, picture of all of the things that you've done and all of, you know, how um, sort of career-wise where everything is at at the moment, which is really great. Um, I think... Um, we quite often forget to like take a step back and look at all of the, the amazing things that we've done. Like when we're so caught up in this stuff. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's really nice to hear your um, story and how this is all sort of like developed and shown up for you and how you've like done everything that you have because you've done some pretty freaking cool things. Um, <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> we were wondering um, in terms of, people who are sort of just getting started in this industry, whether they're a student, a new grad, um, contemplating and sitting on the fence about non-diet, yeah. wherever they're at, um, or even like considering a career change into nutrition or out of research or something else that they're coming from. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to that person? I, I think... Um... Yeah, I think it, it kind of goes back to this idea of, um, of of recognizing that yes, you have expertise and, and experience, and and that has a lot of value. But you're the the moment that you you consider yourself an expert, you stop learning. You you shut yourself off to um, to to yeah to experiences and to to deepening your practice and becoming a better practitioner. So really kind of taming that, um, you know, de-experting yourself and um, being open to, to, to learning and evolving and to um, acknowledging and admitting when you're wrong or when you fucked up 
and um I don't know if I'm allowed to start on your podcast I just realized no, I go for it. Off, so it's too <laughs> yeah, late but um, <laughs> but yeah so I, I would do that I would I would also you know as as important as the science is as important as those like those you know applied clinical skills are I think we need to be um learning um like for, for, for the work that we do, if you want to work in the non-diet space, those counseling skills are equally, if not more important in this space. So learning about things outside of pure nutrition, which are, they're still nutrition or they're still, you know, they're related to nutrition and these counseling skills like motivational interviewing, but not the sort of like BS ORS approach to, to, um, to motivational interviewing that you would get as part of a nutrition degree, but like actually learning the nuts and bolts of it, understanding the spirit of MI, um, you know, understanding person-centered care, maybe doing some um, upskilling around um, therapeutic models that, that you can bring into your practice. So at LCIE, we use ACT a lot, acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, and, and I know I'm like throwing a lot of things in, and it's kind of maybe daunting if you've just done a nutrition degree, like you've spent four years at uni or maybe you've gone and done a master's or something to then be like, oh shit, now I have to go and do all of this, this other stuff. Like don't, it doesn't have to be today. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. You can take your time to learn these things. Um, and there are tons and tons of like free or low cost resources. So talking to change is a fantastic podcast all about motivational interviewing. It's not necessarily in nutrition, but there are so many things that you can pull in from, um, you know, from, from the, the, the guys that run it, um, that apply to, to nutrition counseling. Um, so like, that was like 10 things. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And we're going to be talking more about over the rest of this like sort of season um some of the things that people can do to sort of get that established and start learning um because i think you know we're all told when we're at uni oh like professional development mentoring like cpg is really important um but at the same time i don't think we've really shown the power and the value in it um right. because it's made no. to feel like a chore um, I was just going to say, it's very much a, one, a thing to keep your professional accreditation and two, it's a thing to make you look more employable. But I think it really should be taken the other way. The reason it's part of your professional accreditation, for the most part, is because you're learning, like you're saying, you're continuously growing and trying to expand your skill set. It's not, not a tick box. It's something that you should be inspired by and want to incorporate in your practice. Yeah, like... Um one of one of the things that i've started doing when i'm giving talks to like universities and things like that is instead of coming like straight out of the gate with my receipts and credentials which i think kind of pushes this like expert agenda like oh look at me look how mm. great i am i have all these qualifications um i've started leading with my values as a practitioner so talking about some of the you know the critical praxis and the reflexivity and and um de-experting and, and all of those things because i think it just that shift in emphasis to me um yeah it, it helps frame what is actually important in 
nutrition science. If you're getting on Instagram and being like, listen to me because I have a degree, then, <laughs> then that is not, um, like that is not a good foundation. That just having, having those qualifications does not automatically make you a good practitioner and flaunting them in front of people and, and using them as rationale and justification as to why people should listen to you is in my opinion, highly problematic. Yeah. So, you know, we have, we have to step back and, and think about, okay, you know, why did we get into this work in the first place? It's probably because we're really compassionate people and we want to help them is helping them like screaming in their face, like with myth busting or <laughs> you know, making them feel, making them feel that like they're less than, or that they're stupid because they don't have a nutrition qualification. Um, to me, that's not particularly empowering. At the end of every episode, well, last season anyway, we always asked our guest one question and that was, what does food mean to you? Uh, okay. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's such a, it's such a huge question because it's like, it's my work. It's my hobby. It's my interest. It's like, you know, it's, it's connection, it's creativity, it's, um, entertainment, like from the perspective that like half of my time is spent watching <laughs> videos. Um, like it's just, yeah, it's, there's, there's so much wrapped up in it. Um, like, yeah, it's, it's all of those things. Um, and I think, you know, again, just kind of one, one aspect of my work that I really love is when we get to that point in intuitive eating or eating disorder recovery where people can connect, like really connect with food in a, in a meaningful way instead of it being this like battleground and um, source of conflict, it becomes um, pleasure and joy and connection and um, something to be excited about instead of, of something to, to fear. Um, and, and I can certainly, you know, that resonates with my experiences. Um, and so it's, it's like incredible to see that happen for other people. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's like, it means so much. <laughs> no one's ever said that before. Like everyone's put a word to it, but no one's ever just said that it, that it means a lot. I really like that. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I feel like, again, this is a conversation that we, we have at clinic all the time that it's, it's just, it's um, like, it's a big thing. Um, and I, mean, I don't know, maybe I'm putting too much on it, but because of, because of my, my biases and, um, and because of the work that, that I do, but like, yeah, it's, um, it, it, I think it's, it's so important in our lives and it's, it's so upsetting to me that it's such a, such a source of conflict and pain for so many mm. people. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. And I totally agree. And we talk about this a lot. Um, but I think, you know, just to emphasize that it's so like, so nice seeing, um, 
the real impact of that sort of shift in people. Like you can really tell, um, particularly I'm thinking about a couple of like eating disorder clients who, you know, come through this really traumatic and painful relationship with food into being able to recognise, you know, the social and cultural value and the way that it brings pleasure in so many different ways um, and realise that, like, nutrition isn't actually that, like, functional, you know, like, ma yeah. like macronutrient stuff is really just not that important in the context of our lives. And so that's one of my favourite parts of... Um, doing the work that we do and trying to like communicate that at a broader level as well um so that people can like yeah which is so difficult in the in the context of diet culture that it's you know I, I was having this conversation with a client recently um again we were we were kind of talking about like more um chefy type programs and documentaries and things like ugly delicious and um uh like chef's table and uh oh so how could i forget we were like um just just kind of discussing this idea that actually okay they're not perfect but in the grand scheme of things those are one of the few places that you can go to escape from diet culture like and and have that reprieve and have that safe space um and and this client hadn't really like made that connection before and when they did it was like <laughs> just completely mind-blowing for them that mm. yeah everywhere else is just such can be such an unsafe space around food but then you had there there are these this, this subset of people who just like love food and care about food and are really passionate about it and it's um yeah like all of those things that i talked about before creativity and connection and family and history and tradition and and all of those things and it's um yeah it's really nice to see people connect with that aspect of things rather than um how diet culture presents food which is good or bad right or wrong um and, and highly moralized so yeah yeah gosh i didn't I know i had so many feelings about food <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was just gonna say it's really interesting 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 i'm like kept, lost the ability to speak i think it's really um fascinating that we've managed to go through a whole conversation without actually talking about intuitive eating at all like no. not talked about any of the like no. actual principles or anything, which I think is um, just goes to show the amount that goes into someone's work behind what they're actually doing in practice. Um, mm. And like all of the things that lead into that and have like influenced the way that we work. Um, yeah. So yeah. And I think, that's and I think like our, calling ourselves London Centre for Intuitive Eating is somewhat of a misnomer because of course we use intuitive eating we like we would be nothing without it but um it's it, it, it that is kind of just like one of the many many frameworks and tools that we use as clinicians yeah mm. yeah the more the deeper I get into this space the more I'm like it doesn't really matter how you label it it's kind of just how you're using these things and what you're taking from each of them because I mean, even if we look at the, this is a whole other conversation, but even if we look at the like original intuitive eating framework, there's so much that we've taken from that and adapted and added to. And like, it doesn't necessarily even look like, even in, oh, blue. Blue. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Laura's cats just come say hello. Um, but, you know, it, it's morphed into so much more. And I think that just speaks testament to the way that as an industry we're growing and changing um, and how we can facili facilitate that in our own education as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really nice to, to remember. So to round out today's episode, um, this has been a recent adaptation since we've like started season two so we didn't originally do this with all of our other guests but um we thought if you're willing to stick around and have a bit of a chat about what's been in season um yeah. cheeky little like food pun we love a food pun <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah basically we just talk about some things that we've been enjoying recently usually we do try and divide it into like different categories of like what we've been watching and listening to and food stuff but um maybe we can just share a couple of things each because I don't want to have to like take another hour of your time <laughs> um but I actually haven't thought of anything as per usual so does someone else want to go first <laughs> Bran I think you're gonna have to go first because I I was not pr prepared for this no stress Bran's always like so my... prepared <laughs> got a list I actually don't have a list this time um so books wise I started reading as everyone else has Daisy Jones in the six is that what it's called yes I haven't heard That's of it I haven't heard of that I thought everyone was oh, reading normal oh, people oh that was so fem 2019 for me oh and I preferred conversations with friends. I know no one just asked that, but I'm just going to put oh, that out there. And that, apparently that, we're doing, sorry. I was going to say, I think that might be controversial. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, apparently they're doing a TV adaptation of it as well. So we'll see what happens. Um, so this one is about uh, Daisy Jones, the band, the Daisy Jones and the Six. Um, and about why they split, how they formed, about Daisy Jones and how the band and her came together. Um, and if there's a selling point, it's that Dolly Alderton quotes on the cover. I love it. I can't remember the last time I read a book that was so fun. So anything that Dolly Alderton reads, I will read. <laughs> my, uh, <laughs> well, I'm not, not to brag, but she called my book life-changing. <laughs> oh my god she did didn't she <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, i don't know which one came first she might have changed her opinion on something <laughs> um, um love her she's great and also been, that was going to be what i was going what i've been listening to is the high low because that's back as per usual I actually just got sent a copy of pandora's book so i'm gonna be getting away into that oh why can't I remember the name of it it's am I doing this right I think I think what so it's called. yeah but like so, the green cover is it yeah green yeah, with, yeah. 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 so I don't yeah. think it's out yet but that is on my list for maternity leave is to read that book so yeah amazing can I can I say like in advance that that's my <laughs> <laughs> I know you've got like this huge list of things to <laughs> watch read consume yeah um and so I was actually just thinking um of I, I'm gonna steal this from Eliza before she gets in there but <laughs> were you gonna go for it you were <laughs> no you can yeah no you can <laughs> 
So um, I don't know if it exists in Australia, but there's this like movie subscription system called Mubi here. We talked about it on the pod before. Like, oh, you have? When I, yeah. when I first got onto it, I was like, <gasps> I think I've, okay. I've been putting the link in the show notes so that people can get a month free. <laughs> Amazing. So anyway, I signed up for a free trial because um, somebody I know, Elizabeth Sankey from Summer Camp, which is a band, um, she, I guess, did she direct or write or? I don't really know. It's like her movie though. It's her movie. And basically it's like this montage it's called so it's called romantic comedy but it's like a montage of like every rom-com that it's ever incredible seen and and her and her husband jeremy are the band summer camp and they did like an original score for this movie and basically it's just a critique of romantic comedies like through times and sort of how they've shifted and changed and what some of the issues and the problems are mainly diversity <laughs> and um and like problematic toxic male characters and then like this sort of um uh, god like the this clumsy woman that needs to be saved by a man trope and um just talking about like the future of of rom-coms and, and where they're starting to move more towards um, but like you don't actually see her once in it it's just it's just a voiceover of this like montage of um, plus she has like other people contributing as well and giving sort of their um, insight into things um, and it's, I just thought it was really cleverly done and yeah. I've been sending it to everyone like when you finish a movie on movie it's like share this with your friends and it like sends the link directly and I like definitely utilize that for that film because it's <laughs> It's just such a good, um, concise, clear summary of like everything wrong with the rom-com industry. But at the same time, I think it really gives the that medium justice and like shows the value of it as well. It's not just like, oh, here's why you shouldn't watch rom-coms. It's like, right. here's why they're great, but also here's some things to be aware of and like, you know, something to think about with this stuff. Um, but yeah, she, so she yeah. talks about as well, like why like it's it's so human that we want to watch other people fall in love and like that how that makes total sense and that doesn't mean that we should write off those movies necessarily it's just like again that sort of like consuming them slightly critically um or knowing that they're problematic and just consuming them anyway (laughs) yeah nice um did either of you have anything else that you wanted to talk about from what's in season. Brian, I know you've probably got like a whole list of things. I actually haven't. I've been like super boring the last two weeks. <laughs> Every no, time I talk to people one... at the moment, then I'm like, I've, I've literally done nothing. Everyone's like, what have you been up to? And I'm like, sitting in my house. I mean, it's so hard <laughs> Pretty to much like, discover things at mm. the moment. I feel like it's, yeah. yeah. And also like my whole life has been taken over by reading freaking baby books. So, and nobody wants to hear about that. Like, I have a lot of thoughts on them, but the diet culture in the baby world is um, insane. But something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one thing that I was going to add was that I have picked up all of my instruments for the first time in like oh. two years, which, like, there's been a whole lot 
there that I didn't really want to start playing them again. Um, but yeah, I've been torturing my housemates with my really, really shit viola playing. So I love it. that's been oh, fun. I'm here for it. I wish I it's had been really like, nice. such a talent. I'm kind of like oh, wishing I was home with all my like stuff so that I could play music, but I also don't like I know that I know that if I had access to these things I wouldn't you be doing it play. anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, 100%. Um I think the only thing that I've really got to share actually no I've I've sort of got two things. The first is um that my mum bought me a jigsaw puzzle and just like got it sent to my house. Um that was Love fun because it was I for, you forget how like nice these sort of like mindful but also not like really you don't have to be really attentively mindful it's just like yeah. a naturally mindful mm-hmm. activity um so that was really good that I did last weekend um but then I also read this book um called I who have never known men um I think I read it last weekend as well I've heard of this I posted about it on my Instagram um it was it's an amazing like it's in the realm of kind of like Handmaid's Tale 1984 like that dystopian kind of um I think it was written in the 90s like it's quite a it's an old book book. um and it was originally written in French I believe so I read a translation of it because I'm not not about to learn French um (laughs) but it's just a really nice um it's a very short novel um and it's basically I mean the plot is generally just that these women have been locked up in a bunker um for like it centers on this one person who um, has been there since her childhood. And so she's now sort of in her mid teens um, and they suddenly get out, like they get released into the world, um, but it's not earth. Like it's like this weird Arab desert um, that they're on. And so there's like kind of about how they learn and survive, but everyone else that she's with has a previous life like on earth. And so they all have these memories of like, you know, toilets and like normal things that like everyone has experienced as part of like their life before that but she doesn't have any of those Mm -hmm. memories because she was so young when she was locked up and so her all of her like interpretation of the world is only through her very limited experience of living in this bunker and then going out into the world and so because everyone is older than her I mean the general gist of it is that they get out, they're stuck in this like complete wasteland. Like there's nowhere for them to go. They walk and walk and walk for literally years and they just keep coming across the same landscape. There's nothing there for them. And so eventually all of the people that she's with end up dying because they're older than her and she gets left alone in this world. Um, And it's about how she, it's all from her perspective. And so it's how she's kind of like, interpreting and learning and um she's got this real drive for like curiosity and like she never stops like she's always like what's like you know if I keep going I'm eventually going to come across something and so it's, it's kind of like this really hopeful narrative about like human nature and um like perseverance and just the way that even taken completely out of the context of a normal life and of any experience in life, people are still gonna want, like they're still gonna be hopeful and they're still gonna wanna do things and like, you know, find out what's around the corner and look into these things and like explore this stuff. So um, 
yeah, I really enjoyed that. I gave it five stars on Goodreads because it was just like, it's such, it's really short, but it's really like direct and um, it's a really nice like picture of human nature. And I think the isolation aspect of it obviously is very relevant at the moment. Um, <laughs> but I think it makes you very aware of like all the privileges that you've had and even, you know, just the little things that can be appreciated even if you don't have like a wealth of anything. Um, so yeah, would definitely recommend that. It was quite a quick read. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I've been nice. consuming. Okay. Five stars on Oh no. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's they're, they're tough critics over there. My, <laughs> my mom, I was on, it was my mom's birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, mom. Um, I was on the phone to her yesterday and I read um, One Day by, is it David Nichols? It's like, um, it's that, um, yeah, it was a film with one. like Anne Hathaway and I don't yeah. know who the man was, but it was one of my, it's one of my mum's favourite books. And she was like, can't believe you only gave that three stars on Goodreads. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I did enjoy it, but it wasn't like life changing. Um, Love that. Yeah. <laughs> it calls so, you out. I know. I was like, mum, why are you berating me for this? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was, that's what I've been up to. I've been reading a lot lately because I've got the time and nothing else to do with it can't wait to get to that point <laughs> yeah I mean I imagine well, it's well, not gonna come for a while I'm hoping to get a few days uh before the baby arrives <laughs> I'm doing nothing but yeah yeah um some loose ends first yes so <laughs> we will let you relax um thank you for spending so much time with us today. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Um, that, that was, hope it was good for you guys. Yeah, for sure. Always yeah. love um, having more than just me and Bran <laughs> talking to <laughs> um, Wow, all right. Uh, <laughs> we're so sick of each other. Um, but just so that people know where to find you, I mean, I'm sure most people will already be aware of your presence if they've seen any of our social media but would you be able to um yeah let us know where people can reach out find yeah you online yeah so uh probably the best place to find me is instagram i'm usually lurking there um at laura thomas phd i've also started a kind of account for child feeding and raising and choosing eaters and stuff and that's bub appetite so it's bub dot appetite it's a play on bon appetite obviously <laughs> um <laughs> so obsessed um <laughs> and um obviously london center for intuitive eating.co.uk and uh my podcast is don't salt my game which eliza was recently on so yeah. check that out if you haven't it's a very good episode <laughs> i loved it Oh, Listen to it in the sun. <laughs> yeah. For cool. Sure. Well, thank you so much for yeah for being here and for sharing your story with us. Um, I feel very grateful that I get to be a part of it and to see. Oh, you know, don't! <laughs> oh, you're Stop. I've got my little like secret agenda here. Like, make Laura cry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, it's so easy right now <laughs> <laughs> but yeah hopefully um 
Bub appears soon and you can yes yeah I'll be very excited to meet them when they do um Me too. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. thanks for having yes. me guys